special attention to verses 9 and 10. And these verses, the first 10 verses of Psalm 139, tell us really that it is impossible for us to ever escape or ever to be removed from the presence of God. And really, if you think about it, there's comfort in that. There's comfort and joy to the one who belongs to God through Jesus Christ. There's comfort in these words, but it can also be a very sobering thought as well for us. That there cannot ever be a time when God will not be with us to uphold us and to keep us. So let's pray, and we'll dig into God's word. Lord, thank you again for your word. And again, Lord, we confess it is your word. It's not the words of men. It's not the opinions of people. This is the very words of God given to us, and we thank you that we have it in our laps. We thank you that we have it on our devices to read and to study and to, to gain wisdom by. And Lord, may we gain that wisdom even today. Lord, may we be challenged. May we be comforted with the fact that you are with us always. Lord, may it exhort us also to uh, affect every area of our lives. Lord, may we go out and live your word even this morning, knowing that you are always with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we commonly say to each other, God is with us, or you might say, God is with you, right? Uh, But are we aware, really, of the majesty and the weight and the wonder of those words? God is with you. Now, probably due to the dullness of our flesh and probably the weakness of our faith, it seems like that truth, that truth that God is with us, God is ever-present with me, Moment by moment, day by day, that truth, it seems like, doesn't always shine as it ought to in our Christian lives, in our daily walk. No, God, think about it, God, infinitely glorious, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the living and true God, the God of matchless holiness and infinite power the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one the Bible says the angels cannot even look upon because of his awesomeness and his glory and his holiness. The Almighty God is with us this morning. Can you imagine that? God is with me, and I can never be removed from his presence. Never. These words we can trust. These words we believe. But does the weight and does the sheer glory of it, the awesomeness of this thought, live in our hearts as it ought to day by day? Guarding our hearts from every evil way, comforting our hearts in every distress, and showing us that if God is with us, that really will show us exactly what we need to do each moment of each day. This truth, that God is ever-present with us is really a core of the Christian faith. According to the Gospels, Jesus Christ was sent from God the Father to die on a cross for our sins to secure this very blessing. 
that God might be with us as the God of our salvation. All that Jesus did, all that he did, he did in order that he might be able to say to us when he ascended and departed up into heaven, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Jesus Christ has secured for us sinners. He secured for us this one uncomparable, unequaled, unraveled blessing that God is with us. And his, he's with us in his grace and in his power. He's with us in his love and in his wisdom that we can never, ever be removed from God. And this one thought that God is with me is, is really the most necessary thought, the most necessary truth that I need for my Christian life today. We must be gripped by faith with this one reality that the Lord is ever present with us. Now think about that now. Think about that as I point out from the text. First of all, I'm going to go through the outline here. First of all, Roman numeral number one. You can write it down now or you can write it down later. First of all, the inescapable presence of God. The inescapable presence of God. Secondly, the wonderful intimacy in which he is present with us. The intimacy in which he is present with us. And finally, the practical effects of his presence in our lives. What should we be doing? What should its effect be on our lives. Now, David is meditating, especially in verses 9 and 10. We're going to start with Roman numeral number 1 on the inescapable presence of God. Now, probably we should be a couple of slides further now. Are we? Are we ahead? Yeah, there it is. Okay. Um, the fact that we could never escape God's presence. Not that David wanted to. Now, when he wrote this song, it's not that David wanted to escape the presence of God, but the fact is he could never do it anyways. He could never remove himself to any place where the Lord was not, where he would not be, that he could never ever transport himself with such speed that he could ever escape the sight of God, the presence of God, that God's presence could not be escaped. Now, in this beautiful psalm, in Psalm 119, David is led by the Holy Spirit to contemplate three awesome attributes of God. We're going to go through these as letter A, B, and C here. Three awesome attributes. First of all, God's omniscience. The fact that he knows all things. He knows everything. He knows everything about us. We'll find out that here in a bit. Secondly, God's omnipresence, that God is ever-present always and that he is always here with me, upholding me, giving, strengthening me. And finally, uh, letter C, God's omnipotence. Now, the other two you'll see in the passage that we, we're, we're going to read, God's uh, uh, omnipresence, God's omniscience, and God's omnipresence, yes, but uh, God's omnipotence, the fact that he is almighty, the fact that he is all-powerful, he can do anything. You can see that, actually, throughout the entire psalm here. 
We're going to focus on the first two. So he says in the opening verses here, starting with verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. Now think of that phrase. You understand my thought afar off. You could say here, you know, Lord, you understand, you understand what I'm thinking when I'm daydreaming. When, I, when my mind is wandering off to somewhere else, you understand it. Before my thoughts are ever formed in my brain, you know them. Before they're ever completely formed in my mind, Lord, you know my thoughts. You know them. Verse 4. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. We can't say anything, right? That the Lord cannot hear. David says now, In these verses, he's really saying it's not simply a fact that God has a knowledge of everything, of the the grains of sand on the seashore that he can count, of of the stars and the galaxies in the heavens, of the universe, of the snowflakes or of the birds or of the seeds that need to go into the to to the bird's beak. Now, God knows all these things, yes, but David says it's not just as simple as the fact that God knows all these things, but God knows me. God knows you. He knows my thoughts. He knows what I'm thinking before it would even come to my mouth, my tongue, or my lips what we call our self-conscious thoughts. Those thoughts that nobody knows. Well, God knows. God knows all about them. He knows what I'm thinking before it ever comes out. Those thoughts that, you know, he, he knows it. He knows it at this very instant. He knows everything, absolutely everything about you, about me. Right now. And David goes on in the following verses to really ask the question now. How does God know us? In what way does God know us? Does he know us from some distance? You know, like some men like to think that uh, God is this distant being out there that maybe, maybe someday I might have to meet. The big man in the sky... Is that, is that who he is? No, does God have a knowledge of us? Is God's knowledge of us compared to something like, uh, I don't know, a, a satellite that's flying over the church right now, taking pictures down on us so, and sending those pictures maybe to some government agency so that they can find out a little bit of what we're doing here this morning? Is that what God's knowledge is like? Is God's knowledge of us like a, like a drone that's being sent over, the, uh, over some terrorist group to find out how many uh, enemy combatants there are and what their weapons are? Is that how God knows us? From a distance? No, says David. That's not the way he knows it, from a distance. 
He knows it as the one who is present right here, right now. His presence is over the whole of his creation. Now, I'm sorry, I didn't even turn on the microphone, did I? How's that? Should have made a face at me. Okay, his presence is over the whole of creation. There is no particle of the creation where God is not. And yet with all of his being, all of his being, he is here right now. He's here with me. Now notice how David, by inspiration, develops this psalm. He first considers God's Oh, as he secondly, I guess, considers God's omnipresence. We looked at God's omniscience. Now we look at God's omnipresence. The fact that God is here with all of his being. Imagine that. You know, this is why the psalmist says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I can't attain to it. God God, with all of his being, the living and true God, with all of his being, is right here, right now, beside me, upholding me at this very moment, and I sure need it. He says in verse 7, where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? Can I get away? Can I escape? In verse 8, he, holds it, uh, he, he looks at it in terms of, uh, of up and down. He looks at it, uh, the vertical, you might say, the vertical relationship. Because he says, if I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. There is no place up or down that God is not there. You know, if I were to go up and somehow escape the, 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 the grip of gravity and go float among the stars of space, God is there. God would be there. If someone were to put me in a box and go and bury that box in some unknown grave somewhere off where nobody knows, God would know. Because God is there. No one can take me from God. In verse 9, he becomes poetic. And now he's looking at the horizontal. See, first he's looking at the vertical. Now he's looking at the horizontal now. And he's thinking, verse 9, If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, Now, he's referring there in poetic language to the first shafts of the morning light. You know, as the sun rises and those beams of light stream across the the land at, at the speed of light, those first shafts of light of the sun. And he imagines that somehow, some way, he's able maybe to saddle one of those rays of the sun. He's able to climb up on one of those rays and shoot out at the speed of light. He's gone. He disappears. 
And he finds himself way across the ocean on some unknown island, uncharted, where nobody knows, nobody lives, nobody knows about. And what does he say? Does he say, well, God will catch up to me? Not at all. He says, God would be there. God would be there. And as I was transported by the light, it was God who held me in his hand. God is omnipresent. In all that he is, God is here. Where I am, where you sit, where you stand, every moment of my life, all that God is, glorious in his holiness, matchless in his power, wonderful in his praises, he is here where I am. I am in the presence. You are inescapably this morning in the presence of God. Now listen to him declare in Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 24 to the prophet. He says this, Can anyone hide himself in secret places so that I shall not see him? Says the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth? Says the Lord. Now this is the thought that is overwhelming and amazing David and of course should overwhelm and amaze us as well. This is a source of great, great comfort to us, to those who have trusted in Christ, to those who are believers. It's a source of great comfort, but not only for us personally as individuals. I think it certainly must be a source of great comfort for parents in dealing with their children. It must be a great source of comfort for wives and for husbands. It, of course, must be a great source of comfort for those families whose loved ones are, uh, have, have run away from the Lord. They're running from Him, thinking that they can outdistance Him, but it cannot be done. And the shepherd will bring home his sheep. But the thought is not only comforting, it's also challenging, isn't it? Because the reality of God's presence is a truth from God's Word. And as we read God's Word, we realize it's not only there to comfort us, but it's also there to sanctify us. Because you see, we can't just think of God simply as theologians. Right, knowing everything about God, but really not allowing it to sink into our lives and to affect our daily walk. A knowledge of God's presence ought to change the way we approach every aspect of life. What is the real issue of our hearts and lives? Is it God? Right? God who is not make-believe, but God who is 
who is, really, who is. God is with me. And we can see him there. First of all, we can see him there in our circumstances. When we're anxious and we're worried and we're thinking, you know what, I don't think we have enough money to pay all the bills we need by the end of the month. How is God going to provide for us? How, does God know that we're in this fix? Well, yes. Lord, you know my sitting down and rising up. He knows. Will you trust him? When we're tempted to let our eyes stray to those lustful images on the internet, or when we're thinking those impure, we're tempted at least to think those impure thoughts, Lord, you understand my thoughts afar off. Does that make you think twice? When I'm prone to getting angry and, and, uh, and I spout out heated words to, to those who I, I feel like have it coming to them. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. God hears. Would that make you hold your tongue? All that God is, he's with me right now. No wonder David at the end of this psalm says this, verse 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And David is bringing this out not only for our comfort, but for our sanctification. And he's also bringing out, this is Roman numeral number two, he's also bringing out the wonderful intimacy that he has with God in this passage. Because as David continues on in verse 10, it not only becomes, it, well, it only becomes more amazing, doesn't it? How is God present with me? Is he present with me in the way that he's present with uh, everyday people, lost people? The way he's present with the wicked right now? Is he present in the same way? You know, he's judging them, he's weighing them, he's leading them to destruction. So Daniel, in the book of Daniel, could say to Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Now, king, you're in God's hands, and you have not glorified him. You're in big trouble. God's going to handle you. Is that the way that God is with us? Ready with a big bat? <laughs> so when we step out of line to clobber us? to judge and to weigh us and to condemn us? No. David is thinking of it in terms of God's grace. Because he says in verse 10, Even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Now he's speaking there of that which is intimate, of that which is close, of that which is preserving and protecting. 
And when, when we consider those words, your hand will lead me, your right hand will uphold me, they come with three beautiful truths of how God is present with us intimately. First of all, I think this is letter A, I guess, in Roman numeral number two, letter A, first of all, God's hand refers to, uh, in the Bible to his power, his unbridled power. So that if God, God's hand upholds me, that means that God is present with me in my life by his power. Psalm 95, verses 4 and 5 says this, In his hands are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. He holds the whole world in his hands. And he, God, is with me in his power and in his grace through Christ Jesus. Psalm 138 and verse 7. Just, just the psalm before this. Verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and your right hand will save me. For God's hand to lead you is to be led by God's power. Secondly, he speaks of the right hand of God. And, at, uh, at, and God's right hand in the Bible is a picture of his skill and his wisdom. Commonly, our right hand, in distinction from our left hand, is, uh, is the hand of cunning. Right? Not absolutely, but probably the majority of us. Some of us are left-handed. Right? Some of us are ambidextrous. Uh, but for the most part, the right hand is the hand whereby we do cunning work. So also, the right hand of God refers to the wisdom of God to lead us and to hold us. Psalm 73, uh, verses 23 and 24 say this, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. The counsel of God, His inscrutable wisdom and His being held by His right hand are united in that thought so that it's a reference to God's wisdom. And then finally, God's right hand represents his power, his wisdom, but also his grace. His grace. Because who, who is at the right hand of God? None other than our Lord Jesus Christ, right? If God holds me in his right hand, who is sitting at the right hand of God? David knew this when he wrote Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So this passage teaches us that God is present with us in all of his power, in all of his wisdom, and in all of his grace through Jesus Christ. It's a promise that God will never remove his love and grace from me that around me will always be the power and the wisdom and the grace of God. 
from which nothing, nothing can separate us. Roman numeral number three. What then are the practical lessons that we can learn when I realize that God, in all that He is, is with me, in His power, in His wisdom, in His grace? What are the practical lessons I can learn from this? Well, I have four. You can write them down. Number one, or letter A, whichever one you want to put. When we believe this truly, this will be a conviction to resist secret, strong temptations. Now, have you ever, as a child of God, experienced this? Where you've come to the point regarding some sort of sin or something that uh, you know you probably shouldn't do, you say, you know what, I cannot do this because God is with me. You ever had that experience? I can't do it because God is here. Not because someone else is here. Not because the eye of a parent or a pastor or anybody else for that matter. It doesn't matter. Not because their eye is here, but because God, my God, is here. Especially in a sin that's not public. right? But a sin so private a sin that when we commit it, we, we make sure, so to speak, to draw the blinds and do it in secret so that no one knows what we're doing. God knows. He's there. No one but God. This truth that God is ever present with me in His power, in His wisdom, and in His grace in Jesus Christ is a sanctifying power. If it is real, and if it is true by God-given faith, then it will convict us. It will convict me in the moment of that secret temptation for evil. Give an example. Joseph was a young man working in Potiphar's house. Attractive guy. Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. She continually worked on him, and one day she found him alone. And she invited him to come and lie with her. And, and Joseph responded this way. He said, how can I do this great evil against my God? See, Joseph was more aware of the presence of God than he was aware of the presence of a seductive, of a seductive woman. Can I say that again? Now, Joseph was more aware of the presence of God than the presence of a seductive woman. How much time? How much time do we spend in our lives covering up our sin? We think we're so clever, but God sees us. How foolish. How foolish we are. Our sins are obvious to God. You know, when our kids were two and three and four years old, around our house, we used to play a game called hide and seek. I'm sure you've played it too. And at that age, you realize 
they really don't get it, do they? <laughs> I mean, uh, they, they think this way. They think if they can't see you, then you can't see them, right? So they'll hide in the closets or they'll hide behind the curtains and really, uh, they think they're hidden, but their feet are poking out. You can obviously see where they are. And they're laughing and they're giggling when you get near and you say, yeah, where are you? And, but their foot is visible, but they believe they are truly concealed. They don't get it at that age. But friends, do you and I as adults really get it? Before God, do we really get it? Do we live our, eyes, uh, our lives of faith before the eyes of people? What they will see? Or the eye of God? That He is ever present with me. So that the very thought of going contrary to His will and grieving God becomes unthinkable. This is what the Bible means when it says the fear of the Lord, reverence for the Lord, is to hate evil. Now, how often does the presence of someone else stop us from doing things? You know, you're speeding down the road, and oh boy, there's a a policeman. So you hit the brakes, and you slow down. Right? You're having a a spat with your wife uh, all the way to church. And you end up parking in the church and you get out of the car and you're all smiles like nothing happened, right? You don't want people to know you've been arguing. We'll delete our internet history so that people don't know, especially our family, don't know the website we've been to. What did Jesus say of the religion of the Pharisees? How did he sum that up? He summed it up this way, that they might be seen by men. See, the practical effects of God's presence in your life will be conviction. You will feel a conviction to resist secret, strong temptation. The second practical effect of God's presence is this, courage. Courage to face difficulties and trials. Now, if there's one thing that can be said from the Word of God about your future, I can tell you about your future. Right? On the basis of God's Word, what, uh, what, uh, that God, if, uh, well, I can say on the basis of God's Word that God, should God, by His mercy, give you long life, give you years, There's one thing I can say that is sure to happen in your life. Guess what that is? Difficulties and trials. They're going to come into your life. They're going to happen. There's no way into the kingdom of God except through difficulties and trials. Christ told us that himself. Christ told us, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And the trials that you face will be many. Won't just be a few. They'll be many. The trials that you will face will be unique. Because the Lord knows our soft spots. And of course, the devil does too, right? The Lord knows our soft spots. And it's those areas that he wants to strengthen up and shore up in our lives. So he'll put that 
temptation. He'll put that trial, that fiery trial, into our lives to strengthen us, to work in us, to make us more like Him. You will have difficulties. You will have obstacles before you. You cannot avoid it if you follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But when you know that the Lord is with you, your God is gracious, and He's with you. You can have the courage to face whatever difficulties the Lord sees pleased to put into your life. And even if, if in our life we come to the conclusion that because it's so difficult and it's so hard that God is somehow absent or He doesn't care or He doesn't know, then we are wrong. God does know. God does care. God does know what he's doing. Can God ever be absent from us? No, he can't. He will be with me. This is our courage to face whatever the Lord is pleased to bring to us. Isaiah, in Isaiah 43, verse 2, expands on that promise. He says this, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor the fl- shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. He says, I will be with you. He promises that. This is courage. This is courage to face every difficulty and trial in our lives. The practical effects. Number one, conviction against secret temptation. Number two, courage to face difficulties. Number three, confidence in our calling in life. Confidence in our calling in life. See, the Lord has, if you are a believer, if you are a child of God, God has a calling for your life. God has something He wants you to do. He has a calling for you in His kingdom. And you may be seeking that right now. You may be seeking that calling, what God would want you to do. And you're wondering what that calling may be. And the Lord has given you certain desires, certain abilities, and you think you understand, or maybe you have an inclination of what God is calling you to do, but wherever the Lord leads you in that calling, as He leads you in that calling, you are going to experience your own inabilities and your own failures. And you may come to the point where you say, you know what, I can't. I cannot do this. I simply cannot do this, Lord. Lord, there's been some kind of miscalculation. This is for somebody else. I cannot do this myself. But now this is your confidence. Even there, your hand shall lead me. Notice how that verse begins, verse 10. Even there, even there. Your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. God called Moses. 
And Moses said, Lord, I can't do this. I'm a man of slow speech. And God responded, Moses, go. Right? I made man's lips. I'll be with you. To Joshua. Remember, we studied a little bit at the, uh, at the calling of Joshua uh, last time I spoke. He said to Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You could go down the list of all those whom the Lord has called to serve him, and virtually all of them said, Lord, I can't do this. To Gideon, God comes to him and says, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. So what was Gideon like at that point? Was he a mighty man of valor? You know, was, was he out there with a sword going after the Midianites? No. Gideon was hiding in the wine press, hoping that the Midianites would not see him. He's like a bowl of jello. He's quivering. And the angel says to him, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. That tells us that God sees his servants from the perspective, not of what we are right now, but of what He can do through us. Because He is with us. Listen to God's word to a young woman, an unknown virgin in Nazareth. And He's going to tell her that she's going to give birth to the Messiah. He says, Rejoice, highly favored one. What are the next words? The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Angels, angels themselves believed that the greatest blessing and the greatest qualification for serving our God is His own presence. The Lord is with you. That's all we need. That is confidence for our calling. And finally, number four, God's presence means comfort for our hearts. Comfort for our hearts. Perfect comfort. Perfect peace. The Lord is ever with me. Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Stay your mind on the Lord. We remember those three Hebrew young people in the book of Daniel. And they were far away from their people and their family there in Babylon. They had just come to the, under the rage of the king. He's very angry at them. For their confession of faith that day, they were thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. But the fire did not consume them. And the king has, has drawn as close as he can uh, to the flames because he discerns that there are not just three, but now there are four people in the midst of that burning, fiery furnace. And he sees that the one who is in the midst of the furnace with the three is like the Son of God. He is with us. Though we walk through the burning, fiery furnace, 
He is with us. God is with us. And His presence gives us conviction against secret temptation. It gives us courage to fight every difficulty and trial in our lives. It provides us with comfort for our hearts. Or it gives us confidence for our calling. And then it provides us comfort for our hearts, even in the most dire of circumstances. Let's go out this week. Let's go out this week and live like God is ever-present with us. Boy, it'll change your life. Let's pray. Thank you again, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the comfort it brings us. Oh, Lord, thank you for the conviction it brings us. I am not assuming that every one of us lives as if you are present with us every moment of our lives. There are times, Lord, when that simply slips our mind. There are some times when we deliberately try to ignore the fact that you are with us and do our own thing. Lord, forgive us. God, help us. Help us from now on to realize and to live as if, and he is, that the presence of God is with us every moment of every day. In all that he is, God is with us. We thank you for that fact. Encourage our hearts, comfort them, but Lord, also challenge and sanctify us through it. In Jesus' name, amen.